Well, good morning. Let me move this out of the way. Thank you. You're not doing so bad yourself. Well, now, today's an important day, as Don's already said. Um, And it would be inappropriate if I just spent this time uh, trying to influence you one way or the other as we come towards voting after this service. So what I'm going to be speaking about has got nothing whatsoever to do with the vote or the church specifically, apart from uh, any more than any other church, um, or the situation we're in. Um, And after I've spoken, Jean is going to be coming and saying a few words for a few minutes, helping us to sort of lead up to that vote, so I shall try not to be too long. I was talking about this with my wife. By the way, my wife sends her greetings and apologies. She's had to go to the UK for a funeral of a cousin. Um, So when when we were talking about this, I said, oh, it might have to be a bit shorter than usual. We'll see how it goes. So my wife said, well, cut out the waffle. (laughs) So I said, there'll be nothing left. But I'll let, you, I'll let you judge that. I'll let you judge that. Consider this. The world works on regulations and rules and laws. Buying and selling depends on supply and demand. If the demand goes up, the price goes up. And supply can be adjusted accordingly. Buying and selling. If I want a new hairdo, which is not very likely... I'll make an appointment and I'll pay for it. When I go to ShopRite or Lowe's, that's a bit more likely, I expect to end up in the checkout queue and pay. And if I try to walk out without paying, I can expect problems. If I run up a credit card debt, I expect to have to live it off, uh, to pay it off. Now, maybe in this culture, some people somehow live on credit. Um, and you sort of reschedule and you take out another card and you reorganize and, and that's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. Maybe some people can manage it. If I run up a credit card debt beyond my limit and I get demands to pay, to pay, to pay, I expect somehow it will catch up with me and I will have to pay it off. Now these are normal, everyday examples of how this world ticks. Justice, fairness, trade consequences. It's life. It's business. By and large, in this world, we face the consequences of our actions. If we try to avoid paying our tax, the chances are that in the end, the IRS will catch up with us and it'll be worse than if we just paid up beforehand. This is the way the world works. It has to. Now, just suppose, there I am, I've had my hairdo or I've got my grocery in uh, shop right, or I've got my new kitchen units uh, in Lowe's, um, or my credit card limit has been exceeded and they're all looking red and I'm getting demands, or the tax people are coming down on me and the payment is declined on all my cards. Financially, I'm getting in a bit of a mess. I'm getting letters demanding money and I can't make it. I can expect problems. I see what I have available and it's not enough. But then... 
This is just sort of make-believe to make a point. Then the IRS or American Express or Lowe's come along and say, oh, that's all right. We know you can't pay, so we'll pay your debt for you. <laughs> Look, it says paid in full. Our system shows that there's nothing outstanding. And this is where our title comes in today. You're good to go. What? I say. Wow. So what, what do I have to do? Oh, says Lowe's or American Express. Nothing. Just say yes to this offer. We've paid it. Just believe us. We can be trusted. Accept what we offer. I'd be absolutely bowled over. I would be knocked for six. That is a bit like, I've forgotten the equivalent expression, but if you're knocked for six in England, you're playing cricket, which is a proper game. And, <laughs> and, and if you, you, you hit the ball, it's bowled to you. Um, not just chucked, it's actually sort of there's a special technique of bowling. Okay? And if you knock it for six, you, the batsman hits the ball right out of the ground, beyond the boundary. And if this happened to me, uh, I'm told I'm good to go when I've got an enormous debt. That would be absolutely fantastic. And, um, wow, okay, thanks. Did I deserve that? Well, no, I didn't. Did I have to do anything to receive it? Well, it would seem that I didn't know. Were there any strings attached? Well, nothing was mentioned. Will it come back to haunt me next year? And they'll come back next year and say, um, uh, we've decided you need to pay. Well, no, because they didn't say they'd just forgotten it. They said they paid it. Did it cost them to free me from this debt? Well, yes, it did. Did they have to do that? No. Can I pay it back? Well, no, I can't pay it back because if I could, I would have done but does this bring any expectation for me to live differently in the future? Mm. Yes, it does. Live within my means. But, of course, the world doesn't work like that, does it? It's a fairy story. It's totally unreal. So what on earth are we talking about? Salvation. Salvation. Grace is gift of all. Any other ways of putting it? Grace. grace. Yes. We're talking about grace. And that's what I want us to focus on, first of all. We're good to go. Grace is fundamental to being a Christian. And a proper understanding of God's grace is so important for all of us. It's a foundation for our relationship with God. Now, as we've seen and we've pointed out, it's not usually experienced in this world, but it's how heaven operates. Now, you don't need me, probably, to explain the debt that we have all run up with God that we cannot pay, the parallel with what we were talking about, that Jesus took that debt and paid it in full. If you're a visitor here, if you're new to Christian things, if you don't know what we're talking about when we talk about God's grace, then have a word with somebody, or me or somebody else, afterwards. But basically, as a, uh, all of us, as human beings, have gone wrong. We've got wrong within us. We've done wrong, and there's a holy God around, and we have run up a debt that we can't pay before him. And instead of demanding it from us when he knows that he, we can't pay it, he has sent his son Jesus to pay that debt for us. And if you're in the position of saying, well, I don't know what all this is about, forgiveness, I know there's something in me that needs sorting out, that's what needs sorting out, it can be sorted out, you can know the grace of God, and you can know forgiveness. So if you're not a Christian, or if you're on the 
The fringes, that's what it's all about. But let's get some authority here from Scripture. Too much waffle. (laughs) Well, we had our Scripture reading from Romans chapter 8. And it started off saying there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because I have been set free from the law of sin and death. And he said that sin, and he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the righteous requirement of the law, this is like the credit card saying, you owe $5,000, the righteous requirement, that's quite righteous, it's a perfectly good law because I spent $5,000, the righteous requirement may be fully met in us, that payment's made. Because we don't live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The requirements of the law are met in me, Note it says in me, not by me. The righteous requirements of the law were met in me, not by me. The righteousness was credited to my account. I didn't put it there. I am not righteous myself. The debt is cancelled as Christians. Who has authority to cancel a debt in this world? The top guy, I guess, or somebody fairly senior. Who has the authority to cancel the debt of sin? Only one, and that is God himself. And he has said the debt is cancelled. It's been paid in full by Jesus. So if it's been paid in full, I am free of that debt by God's grace. I no longer have this, like a, a weight on my back, round my neck, drawing me inevitably towards death. Because that's where sin leads us, spiritual death, separation from God. And as it says, there is no condemnation. Now sometimes we feel condemned. But the Bible says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And thus saith the only one with authority to condemn. Who has the righteous authority to condemn us if he so chooses? God. Not Satan. He's the one who tries to condemn us and rob us of the goodness of God's grace. But the only one with authority to actually condemn or reprieve is God himself. And what does God say? No condemnation. Well, that sounds like good news to me. This is how God works. This is the DNA of being a Christian. Now think of all those questions that we asked just now about the credit card company. Like, did we deserve it? We could ask those same questions of ourselves as Christians and God's grace. Did we deserve it? No. Did we have to do anything to receive it? No. Were there any strings attached? No. Will it come back to haunt us next year? Will God change his mind next year? No. Did someone else put the bill for us? Mm, Yes. Ah. Did they have to do that? No. Can you pay it back? No. I can live to glorify God, but I can't pay back that debt of sin. Does it bring any expectation to live differently in the future? Yes. But not to stay in a place of salvation, but out of gratitude to the God who has died for each one of us. Problem is, although Jesus faced those consequences of our sin and dealt with them, we still sometimes try to do our bit to earn forgiveness. We think, well, 
Perhaps forgiveness will come more readily if we measure up or do better or we try to impress God. If I pray enough, if I go to church enough, if I take communion enough, do enough good, read the Bible enough, try hard, maybe will God decide, maybe God will decide I've made the grade because he can see I'm trying. Maybe the balance will tip in my favor. Now, if that's your Christianity, then I'm sorry, but you've got the wrong faith. Okay? You can try as hard as you like to wipe out the debt of sin and, and the wrong that's within you. You can turn over new leaves as, long, as many times as you like and you make as many new, good re- new Year resolution, resolutions as you like and really give as much money as you like and you can try and do all these things. It will not impress God one bit. It will not earn you your salvation. And if that's what you're trying to do, think again. You can't do it. The, the standard is perfection. You cannot reach it. Only one person has reached that standard for you, and that is Jesus. And he offers you that as a gift because he is full of grace. So you are completely forgiven once and for all, not because what you have done, but because of God's grace. It's a gift. It's his nature to be gracious. So just being religious will not get us anywhere. We might want to serve the Lord out of, out of gratitude. That's fine. But it's not to earn our way into his favor. We're already in his favor. He already loves us. But this grace is not cheap. Romans 6, uh, at the beginning of Romans 6, it says, because I've been talking about grace, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Wow, if this is fantastic. If God's got so much grace that he lavishes upon us, we can go on sinning and God's grace will be more and more and more and he'll keep forgiving us. And Paul says, shall we do this? By no means. By no means. No. It's a total denial and abuse of God's grace. There is an exhortation and an expectation that we change. You see, being a Christian is not just a bolt-on extra. We just get on and live our lives as we want to, and we have a bit of religion on the side, so we keep it in, good, in God's good books. It's not like that, is it? There is an expectation to turn away from sin and live differently. Not that God will say, well, if you don't, then I'm not going to forgive you. He's not, not because of that, but because this is the essence of being a Christian. We live differently. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We are lived to live lives of holiness and not abuse God's grace. So grace, as I said, is fundamental to our lives as Christians. Receiving, living in God's grace. But it's only one side of the coin or the banknote. Now I have here in my pocket a banknote. At least it looks like a banknote. It says it's a $10 bill. Can you see that? $10? Yeah? Okay. Looks, looks genuine? Looks all right? Okay. Anybody tell me whose picture it is on it? Margaret Thatcher. Is that Margaret Thatcher? It is. I'm sorry for those of you at the back who can't see. It's got Margaret Thatcher on it. A $10 bill. What's that all about? Well, let me tell you a little story. I'm getting my own back because last week, Pastor John said something nasty about Brits. (laughs) 
so I'm getting my own back. Um, in one of the recent Republican debates, all the rep candidates, I didn't see this one, I think they were asked, there's a new $10 bill coming out, who would you, whose picture would you put on the new $10 bill? And one of the candidates, good guy, said Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> so I'm pleased to see that at least some Americans understand and appreciate the skill and the quality of us Brits. <laughs> and so the BBC picked up on this, and on their website was this. So I managed to print it off, get it to about the right size. But it's a fake. Oh, oh. and what's on the other side? Blank. It's blank. It's blank. A genuine note has got something on both sides of the paper. A coin has two sides. And the reason I'm emphasizing this, apart from getting my own back, being rude about Americans, um, is to say that grace is like one side of the note. There is another side. Anybody tell me what it is? The other side of the coin. It said, God, in God we trust. It should say on the back. Yeah, it should on this. Okay. But if this is grace, what's on the other side? Mercy. Mercy, yeah, possibly. Acceptance. Forgiveness, all these things are true. Yeah. The Christ, Sorry? The death of Christ. Faith. Faith. You're not, you haven't got the word I picked. All these are valid. <laughs> the Bible says that the New Testament tells us the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what, what everybody was saying was right, but the particular quality that I want to look at, there we are, is truth. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now the law defines the problem, the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament stuff. It points up, it helps us to know when we're going wrong. Suppose there were no speed limits on our roads. You just, you just do what you like. And then, you know, you're sitting there and the cop, you're driving along and the cop's sitting there and uh, he pulls out behind you and, you know, the Christmas tree lights up and, woo, 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 woo. and you think, oh no, what have I done now? <laughs> and he says, you're speeding. You say, what do you mean I was speeding? What's the speed limit? Well, there's no speed limit, but you're speeding, you're going too fast. But how do you know? There's no limit. It doesn't make sense. How can you know if you're, if you're contravening something if that law is not defined. So the council comes along and puts a 30 mile an hour sign there and he says, ah, now I know what I was doing wrong. I was doing 40. Yeah, okay, officer. Um, because that sign is there, there's a 30 mile an hour speed limit. I was exceeding. Okay, you got, you got me. I'll pay the fine or whatever. The, 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 the law says 30. It defines the problem. Without that 30 mile an hour limit, who's to say whether you're obeying the law? Is there a law there? No. And it was the same with the Ten Commandments. Before then, how can you define sin? There's nothing defined. The Ten Commandments defined it. That is God's standard. If you want to live a holy life, those are the things you have to do. Now it's defined. Now we know. But the problem is we can't keep it. So the law defines the problem. The law was given through Moses, but the law itself did nothing to help us sort out the problem. The fact that there's a 30 mile an hour limit doesn't make us keep to 30 miles an hour. Except when we know there's a cop 
around the next corner. <laughs> the law defines the problem, but it doesn't help us overcome it. We have failed. We have done that which is contrary to the law. It says that you contravened it. You stand condemned, and that is truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Now, some people uh, like one-sided banknotes, especially if they've got Margaret Thatcher on them. They just focus on God's grace. Oh, God is so gracious. Um, uh, You know, God's grace is so great that there's no sense of accountability or judgment or standards. They believe in a wishy-washy God who understands our weaknesses, which he does, and just sort of says, yeah, I know you can't help it. I'll just look the other way. We'll pretend everything is fine um, when we sin. And he'll ignore it. He'll say it doesn't matter. There is nothing to be saved from since God loves everyone and would never judge anybody. Now, that's not biblical. And that's not a correct understanding of God's grace. If that's the case, why did God send Jesus? So if you have grace without truth, it's one-sided, and so is the other side. Sin certainly does matter. As I said, it's a a chain that's tying us to death that we cannot break. Sin is real and it's an ugly, uh, it's an ugly uh, imposition in our lives. Now truth declares and upholds this righteousness and standards. It demands perfection and holiness. The law must be satisfied because the Bible says the soul that sins will surely die. Yes, we do stand condemned. The law is right. The law is righteous and in it we stand condemned. So truth says you are a sinner. But it also says Jesus came to die for you. So now the grace comes in. Grace understands our inability to satisfy truth's demands and provides that sacrifice for sin so that the law's demands are met. The important thing is that grace, the fact that Jesus was full of grace and truth does not mean that God lowered his standards. God's standards remained exactly the same from through from the old covenant to the new covenant. Holiness, perfection. He didn't lower the standards. He just instituted a new covenant of grace by which the demands and the standards are not met by us but are met in us through Jesus. So Jesus met those requirements in himself. Grace upon grace, more and more. I sometimes like to think of grace as, as a burst water main. You know, um, uh, if, if a great big major water main bursts out in the street somewhere, you've got water gushing everywhere, the roads close, there's water flowing all over the place, you can't stop it, you get soaking, it's absolutely everywhere. That's God's grace, you can't stop it. It's flowing around all the time. It's great, it's fantastic, it's, it's limitless. And Romans 5, chapter, verse 1, says, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you need peace? Do we need peace? Yeah, I want peace in this world. I want peace when things go wrong because God's grace doesn't mean that nothing's going to go wrong. But what I can know is peace with God that this debt is paid. I've no longer, as it were, like having the IRS breathing down me, threatening with court action and this and that and the other and threatening to repossess my house. I've got all that gone. I have peace with the IRS. More significantly, I have peace with God. He is no longer 
I'm no longer at enmity with him. And this is the ground that we stand on. This is the ground that we stand on. We don't stand on a ground of religious observance. We don't stand on a ground of how good we have been or how much goodness we have managed to to summon up in ourselves or the good works that we do. That's not the ground that we stand on. We stand on the ground of God's grace and truth. It's our foundation. It's our space. So Ephesians tells us, and we haven't got time to look at it, that we have been brought to life. We've been raised up with Christ and saved. It tells us salvation is a gift. And it says, okay, so you can't boast. So no super spirituality, no self-righteousness because you are a forgiven sinner. You didn't do it. God did. It also says that we were created with a purpose, and that is to serve God, good works. So receiving God's grace is not the be-all and end-all. There is an expectation, there is an exhortation to live in the goodness of God's grace. So grace and truth together remind us that we're all sinners separated from God. There's a debt to pay. It reminds us that we cannot gain salvation by our own efforts. In other words, we can't pay the debt. It reminds us that God sent Jesus to die for us and take our sin, that he paid the debt, in other words. And our response is to receive this gift of grace by having faith in Jesus and following him, believing and accepting. Now, there is saving grace. And what we've been talking about, by and large, is saving grace. The grace of God reaching out to us to offer us forgiveness and salvation as a gift. But there is also what we sometimes call sustaining grace, which is God's grace reaching down to us day by day. Because I don't know about you, but I'm prone to, I'm prone to getting things wrong. And if my wife was here, she'd be saying aloud, Amen. Um, I'm prone to getting things wrong sometimes, and we need God's grace sustaining us. We need God's grace when things go wrong in our lives and our circumstances and our job and our family and our, uh, our situation because things do go wrong. We need God's grace and the opposite, sustaining grace, his goodness every day uh, of our lives. It doesn't end the day we're saved. So every day, our ground, the ground that we stand on is God's grace. You know, if you're walking along on a slippery sidewalk in winter and it's icy, you're liable to trip up. God's grace is not like that. It's solid. It's firm. As another contrast, I like cars. I like fast cars. I like flashy cars. Somewhere in the States, and I haven't been there yet, is a Corvette museum. Now, America doesn't make many sports cars. It's far more in England. I've got a little Triumph in my garage, which is an English car. It's not going, but it's there. Um, somewhere in the States, and I've forgotten where, is a museum of, of Chevrolet Corvettes. All the different ones back to the 50s right up to the present day. And some months ago, overnight, I think, somehow, a great big sinkhole opened. You know, one of these things where a great hole opens up in the ground. Enormous thing, and it swallowed up about eight of these cars. Oh, that's tragic. Corvettes fall into this hole. Oh, no. They've, they've managed to recover some of them, and they're, they're going to restore some of them, and I think they're going to leave one or two as a, sort of, uh, to, as a sort of witness to that event. But what I'm trying to say is God's grace is not like that. There's no sinkhole about to open up under your feet in God's grace. 
God can be depended upon. We have sung it. God is faithful. God is good. God is dependable. There will be no holes that you're going to fall into with God because his ground is secure and dependable. It's God's grace. He's not going to change. But remember that grace is not an excuse to go on sinning, but it is an exhortation for us to live holy lives. I've been trying to think of an example of grace. Now, I, can't, I haven't got a testimony that says, oh, I grew up as a terrible renegade and suddenly I saw the light and it was all found. I can't say that. I grew up in a Christian family uh, in the UK and went to a church, a bit like a Baptist church, quite similar, a sort of non-denominational church. I cannot know a time when I didn't believe in Jesus. Some of you are like that. Others are different. You know exactly when God first hit you between the eyes and that's changed your lives forever. I'm not like that. But I do know that I love Jesus. Amen. Um, so I can't talk about being a trophy of grace and being rescued from a, uh, a terrible lifestyle. But just as an example of, a little bit of an example, um, I was recently, well it was last Easter, having a conversation with one of my grandchildren. And she was talking about the Easter bunny. And I said, oh, I don't believe in the Easter Bunny. No. Grandad, you've got to believe in the Easter Bunny. Just believe. You must believe in the Easter Bunny. Um, I just had to believe. And I said, well, okay, I'll believe in the Easter Bunny if it brings me some nice dark chocolate. (laughs) Now, what I'd forgotten, but my granddaughter had certainly not forgotten was that I had already been given some nice dark chocolate just before. So my granddaughter said, well, where did that dark chocolate come from? Oh, I said, it must have been the Easter Bunny. Okay, I believe in the Easter Bunny. And apparently the Easter Bunny is some sort of, in some multinational corporation that includes Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy as well. So I'm told, but I don't understand big business. Um, My point is this. The Easter bunny had been gracious to me before I actually believed in it. The Easter bunny had given me some chocolate even though I didn't believe in it. God's grace was active in your life before you knew him and mine. You might be able to see that, you might not. But God's grace has been active in your life Throughout your life, God has his hand on you, his hand of grace. Even before you realized it, God was at work. And he's still at work. He still bears with our weakness and our lack of faith. But the imperative is there, just believe. You can't pay for it. You can't earn it. It's a question of just believe. There's a lot of airy-fairy nonsense about believe. You know, in in this world of shifting standards um, and some kids' stuff, there's this, oh, just believe. You can do anything. Just believe. Believe what? Well, just believe. It's not an airy-fairy, just mystical nonsensing. It's a just believe in history, the historical fact of the the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just believe. Stop scoffing. Scott being sceptical, just believe it's true. It is true. Jesus came with grace 
and truth. And all we can do is believe and, change, and, and know God's power to change our lives as a result. It's so easy for unbelief to creep in and we can realize we're missing God's grace through the pressures of life. There was a time earlier this year when I really got it wrong before I went, I think I might have mentioned this, so I won't spend long on it, um, when I went on a medical mission to El Salvador. I wasn't, I'm not a medic, so I wasn't doing medical stuff. I was doing other stuff. I went as a pastor. Um, and then the days leading up to it, everything went wrong at home. It's winter, frozen pipes, door broke, car went wrong, and, and I was ill. And, and, and I was not living in the goodness of God's grace because I allowed all these things to build up within me. Okay? Uh, and I was apprehensive about what was going to happen in this, this trip. It was brilliant uh, in, in the event. But... Uh, Leading up to it was an awful time. And I had missed the grace of God. Not because I'd done something terrible, but because I had just ignored and forgotten just to be there with Jesus and to talk these things over with him and to, to allow his grace to bring peace to my heart. So when things get in a bit of a mess at home, when things go wrong, don't let that separate you from the goodness of God. I did for a few days. Um, and it's easy to do. But God, remember, does not condemn. There is no condemnation. He doesn't come along and bang us over the head and say, oh, you idiot, you've done it again. You know. He's there full of grace, waiting, waiting to accept us and receive us again. So to conclude, grace is about God's overflowing, unmerited love reaching out to us. And grace is about his power transforming us and helping us to grow like Jesus. Is this your God? Is your God a God of grace? Or is he just still a God with a big stick? Or is he just some heavenly Santa Claus who would never say boo to a goose? Do you have that expression over here, saying boo to a goose? Oh, right, okay. If you say boo... <laughs> okay. Um, the expression, never say boo to a goose, is you never upset anybody. You know, you just, everything is fine. You'd never say anything at all nasty to anybody. You'd be too frightened to do so, or you just wouldn't, th- wouldn't dream of saying anything that cuts across what they want to do. God is not someone who is like that. God is full of grace and truth. He gave the law. It's a holy law. And he sells us that this is the year of his favor. So we are free. We are recipients of grace. We live in his truth. We are forgiven. We are accepted. The debt is paid. And we're to live holy lives and live in that grace. So the account is clear. And so to come back to our title, God says, you're good to go. Now I don't mean go from here. We've still got the vote. But we're good to go in the sense that the debt is paid. Your debt is paid completely once and for all through Jesus. There's nothing more you can do to persuade God. I know this is basic stuff. I know we've heard it before, but I need to be reminded and maybe it's helpful if we're all reminded. Let's pray together. Lord, if it were not for your grace, we would be completely lost. But we thank you that you're such a gracious God that you've reached out to us and you've touched our lives and you've brought us forgiveness. You sent Jesus 
Thank you, Jesus, that you came and you paid our debt for us, the one that we could not pay. Thank you that you, you took our sin upon yourself. Thank you, Lord, that it's not a question of trying to turn over a new leaf or, or, or do as well as we can and see if we can make the grade. Lord, we can't do that. But thank you that you offer forgiveness as a gift. Lord, many of us have received that, and this morning afresh, we want to say thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for forgiving us. We don't deserve it. Thank you for your grace. Lord, help us as a reminder, Lord, of this grace. Help us to live ever for you. Lord, help us by your spirit to live holy lives, to serve you, to glorify you, not to try to win your favor or, 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 or to earn forgiveness because we can't do that. You've forgiven us already. But Lord, as a token of our gratitude, this morning we offer our lives to you afresh and say, Lord, take us and use us, fill us with your spirit. And Lord, this morning we have important things to think about. We have an important issue to decide. We ask that you will be with us, that you will guide us, and that, Lord, your name will be glorified in this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now I'm going to hand over to Jean. So why am I up here? <clears throat> a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor John asked me to uh, speak to the congregation. <clears throat> um, for, uh, <laughs> for better or for worse, I've been here through every pastor that's been at Harmony Baptist Church and been in position of leadership uh, in one form or another. Um, and I just, I, I, I can't emphasize enough how important this, this time is. Um, as Derek was preaching, I'm, I'm praying that uh, God would have his holy angels around this place and protect us because uh, I think this is the most important thing that Harmony Baptist Church has ever done. Um, I, I'm not here to influence your vote, as, as Derek said. And if you want to know how I feel, you can ask me. Uh, that's, that's fine. But um, it's not just hyperbole. It is, if you think about, I've been, if you think about the history of the church, and especially the recent history of the church, this is a very, uh, solemn and important time for us. And it's also a time, and I think it's going to be a time of great rejoicing and, and, and thanking God for his direction. Uh, Pastor John has been insistent on wanting to hear from the Lord and, and wanting to hear from the congregation, which he should be. And I hope you're you want to hear from the Lord and want to know what direction this is for us as well. Because uh, I can't emphasize enough how 
important this is for the life and the future of this church. It's important not because Pastor John, I think most of us love him and he is a great guy. And that's one thing. It's important for this place because this is, we are, as Derek talked about, we're the called out ones. We've been bought by the blood of the lamb. And we're here, we represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And our, the scripture says that this is a body of believers, a body who has in common the shed blood of, the, of Christ our Savior. And that's what ties us together. Everybody has their own likes and dislikes and gifts and talents and abilities and personalities, and that's terrific because that's what makes up a body. But the thing that draws us together is that we love Jesus, right? And we want to see his name glorified in this place. So my prayer, and I hope your prayer has been that God would have his will be done here in a very powerful and special way. And, you know, the neat thing about Pastor John is he wants to know it too. Um, he's been, I don't know if I could have been away like he's been away, uh, if if it was me, but he's been away and praying and, and, uh, wanting to hear from God. And that's what we want. And, you know, it's vitally important that we recognize how big a deal this is. This is spiritual warfare. We've been bought out of the marketplace of sin by the blood of Christ. That means we've been set apart because we have amazing grace. How sweet the song that saved a wretch like me and saved a wretch like you. We've been born again and we have a message to share with the world around us. And whether Pastor John is here or not, we have a calling a responsibility and this is to glorify the lord to praise him and to tell people what is special about the lord jesus christ and what he did for me we talked about this in sunday school you don't have to be a pastor you don't have to be able to preach you don't have to be uh, an elder what god calls you to be as a witness what did jesus do for you that's what he asked us to do. Tell somebody. If, if we talked to, if somebody asks you a question and you don't know what it is, the answer is go find out. But they can't deny your testimony because that was what God did personally in your life. I I think this is um, vitally important for the health and, and life of our church. I hope you do too. Um, we are in the precipice of doing something great here, and I think uh, God will do the, his will and his best. And I, I just concerned that we just pray with me as I close, just pray with me that God will be in, the, in control and everything that's done. Lord, I love you and I thank you and praise you for what you've done at Harmony Baptist Church through the years. And 
What you've done in, in the last three years has been amazing. Because, Lord, um, there's been forgiveness and there's been healing. And there's been reconciliation. And that is so precious. Lord, we love you and we, we want to serve you with all of our hearts. Because there's, we've been bought and paid for by the blood of our Savior. Lord, we want this place to be a place where your name is honored and glorified and that you, we are lifted up in, in praise and honor and glory and in witnessing of what you've done for us. So, Lord, as I said earlier, I pray that you put your holy angels around this place as we have this special meeting, a special vote, Lord, that nothing would get in the way of uh, your will being done. We praise you and thank you in, in Jesus' name. Amen.